Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. And now you can watch us twice a week too on Tuesdays and Fridays, although this one, this episode's dropping a little bit early for you ahead of the Manchester Derby on Sunday. Head over to our YouTube channel, hit the like button, subscribe and join the community. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. Rob, welcome to the show again. Uh, saw you a couple of days ago. How are you doing? Not too bad, Scott. How are you today, mate? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, trying to convince myself ahead of Sunday that United have, you know, that little bit of power over Man City at the Etihad. I think they've won their last three games at the Etihad. Yeah, uh, I've yeah, I've got to this point where I don't worry about this fixture anymore. And the reason why I don't <laughs> worry about it is because weird things happen when we play Man City. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has this incredible record against uh, Pep Guardiola. Yet I don't think that United fans would recognise that as being a thing. Obviously, Ole is gone. But this Manchester United team do know how to beat Man City and they've done it themselves many, many times. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, at the end of the show, I think. Uh, but we've got some stuff to get out of the way first. We'll look at Eric Ten Hag learning English. Um, mm. Rob and I have been speaking about that off here, and we'll get to that in a second. And as told Ajax, he wishes to leave at the end of the season. We'll also address the Carlo Ancelotti speculation, which uh, doesn't really make too much sense to me, but we'll, we'll dig into that as well. And we'll also talk about Harry Maguire's continued selection uh, and... What the future holds for him before we get into the Manchester derby. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter too. Uh, at underscore Scott Saunders for me. At underscore Rob underscore B uh, for Rob. And at Promised Land MU for the show. So give all of those a follow. Uh, and we'll be with you for around 40 minutes today, hopefully. Um, all goes well. Uh, Rob, let's dig in then. And I think we'll start with Eric Ten Hag. Because I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the the swell of Man United fan opinion in terms of who they want the next manager to be is swaying towards Eric Ten Hag at Ajax at the moment. Uh, and maybe not people aren't so hot on Mauricio Pochettino. I don't think the Ancelotti stuff, and we'll talk about him in a little while, that wasn't really met with too much vigor or you know desire for that to happen. So it seems to me that Ten Hag is the one at the moment. Now, the Daily Mail have said uh, he's learning English uh, and has told Ajax he wishes to leave at the end of the season. I think we all know that he would probably have some interest in uh, in taking over at United, but there are obviously concerns that 
you uh, brought up on Tuesday's show with Mark Bosnich, uh, big shout out to him, it, that it doesn't, we don't really have the same structure here at United um, that has allowed Ajax to flourish. And they have built on their youth system for decades. Uh, they have a style of play and it's easy enough for him to promote from within and that kind of thing. United aren't there, are they? So what do you make of uh, this? And do you think that Ten Hag is moving into pole position for this job? I think he's very much in pole position at the moment. And both with Manchester United fans in terms of the favour and also within Richard Arnold. Now, in the weeks ahead and obviously towards the end of the season and the summer on our show here, we're going to be talking so much more about managers and the potential uh, coaches coming into the club. But I think we are drilling down now that it's Ten Hag or nothing at the moment as it stands. So I think with Eric Ten Hag, like you just said, then we talked about on our previous show, the models between Ajax and Manchester United are worlds apart. Very, very different. Expectations are different. Locally, of course, Ajax are there to win the Eredivisie and try and do well in Europe. But the budgets are very different. The players are very different. Ajax not really a team full of superstars or high earners. There's just a much more holistic feel, isn't there, about Ajax of Amsterdam compared to Manchester United. So I think that that is a big concern. I'm not quite sure that the board will view it in that way. Because I think the board are looking across Europe and looking across the world and still trying to find that coach that gets them to the next level. Now, they've almost tried everything different each time, Scott. Each coach got a little bit different. They've tried one, two years, gone, two years, three years, gone. And it just seems to be this cycle of continuation. So that's what worries me about, about Ten Hag. Because I think if you give him the job, you've really got to give him a real long-term guarantee that if it goes wrong in the first six months or 12 months and doesn't work, that you've got to stick with your guy. Is that going to happen? At Manchester United, it doesn't seem to. They do need to, you know... Well, they've tried this, and they, they said they'd do that with David Moyes. They gave him a six-year deal um, all those years ago now. Yeah. Only recently expired. <laughs> well, uh, no, that was... Where are we now? We're 2022 now, so it was a good uh, three years ago that that actually expired. But yeah, Ajax have conceded seven goals in 24 games in, in the Eredivisie this season. Uh, they're top of the league by only two points. PSG are uh, on their tail, but I think Ajax might have lost their last game because when I checked this table last week, they conceded... Uh, five goals in 23, I think it was. But yeah, um, Ten Hag's getting it right on the pitch. Ajax obviously took them to the Champions League semi-finals a few years ago. Um, the squad has changed massively since then. The likes of Donny van der Beek, Frankie de Jong, uh, Matis de Ligt have all left for big money. And he's managed to regenerate this squad and continue the success, essentially. Uh You'd expect them to probably win the league this season. They're in the Champions League. I think they got a 2-2 draw um, in the first leg there, and they'd be expected to go through. I think it was with Benfica. Um, but I think Ten Hag is... It, it does seem to me that United are looking at him as kind of the main prospect at the moment with Ranić there. Now, earlier this week, uh, John Murta and the United officials uh, did a call and made a, a number of statements about uh, what they plan to achieve in the future. And this is what Murta said with regards to the new manager. We're now conducting a thorough process for the appointment of a new permanent manager who will take charge this summer with the objective to get us back to challenging for those domestic and European titles. 
Overall, while there's a potential for further improvement and progress, we do feel that we now have the right structures in place across our men's, women's and academy teams to support long-term success. And we will continue working relentlessly and investing to achieve that. Do you believe that, Rob? The, the, the last line of, we now have the right structures in place across our men's, women's and academy teams to support long-term success. Now, they've been saying that to us for a while, um, but obviously there have been a number of changes upstairs in recent months uh, with Murta coming in, Darren Fletcher taking a bigger role and this kind of thing. Ten Hag is going to need stability and a long-term vision and this kind of thing in place to succeed, isn't he? He, he can't do this all himself. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a joke statement because the one thing mentioned I haven't got is structure and stability. Like they haven't. Like even the comment there about the women's team, you know, at the start of the season, the women's team was completely in flux because everything coming out from the centre from Manchester United, from that team, was that we haven't got proper training facilities, the investment isn't there, and what happened? Players left. Players went, I'm not staying here. So I think that that's a kind of throwaway political statement that John Murta is making there. And unfortunately, that's not really what we want from a director of football. You know, it's taken Man United... 20 years to finally realise that directors of footballs are things in Europe and that you need one. And now they've got one. That structure isn't really showing a lot at the moment. You hope in the future that it will. So the most important part of that in terms of stability and then looking forward is the coach. Can you bring in a coach now that, that takes it all, bumps it up to the next level? Just in the ways we've said in other shows that Klopp did at Liverpool, he took an idea and turned it into trophies. Guardiola took an idea and turned it into trophies. Can Man United find that next coach that comes in and impacts winning? And you know I say at every show, uh, Scott, don't I? How do you impact winning? Because that's all it's about, win games. And I think that Ten Hag is an intelligent guy and that he, he can do that. But if you tie his hands behind his back, what is he going to do? So that's what I worry about, that... Whichever coach you bring in, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the Ancelotti links and, and other kind of coaches that are, that are in the frame. But are Man United looking for that 70-year-old former winner who's won loads of trophies and that's the route this time? Or are you going to go with a young coach who might make mistakes in the Premier League? Like, let's be honest, like Ten Hag is a good coach, but will his system, will his philosophy fit English football? I still think that's a question to be asked. How important do you think uh, Ralph Ranić will be and how much of an, a role will he play? Now, it does seem like United aren't going to stick with him uh, as manager beyond this season, as was the plan outlined, as as was outlined in the plan when they, he was initially hired as interim manager. Uh, United went back on themselves when Oli came in in similar circumstances and gave him the, the role long-term. You've spoken about potentially giving it to Ralph longer than this. But it does seem as though uh, that will not happen this time. Uh, do you think Ranić will be integral to making sure that United have the right structure ahead of or above somebody like Eric Ten Hag to make things work? No. No, I don't. Because Manchester United's board is quite focused on its own agendas and own goals which is making money, improving the commercial offer, making Manchester United the giant of the football sponsorship world. That's really what the board do want. Now, the football side of it should be number one priority, but come somewhere down the list. But that is already... They, they believe they've addressed that by appointing John Murta. Like, like you just said, Darren Fletcher. Darren Fletcher uh, is a kind of director of football role 
And what does he do? He sits on the bench next to the manager and warms the players up before the game. What is all that about? That's not what a director of football is supposed to do. He should not be there in a tracksuit. He should be in a business suit doing deals and, and talking to players from upstairs. So that's why I look at that and I don't see, I don't feel the kind of maybe energy behind those changes. I don't think, yeah, that is what where you go to get to where you want to be. Again, on our last podcast with Mark Bosnich, I said it's the people behind the scenes who are the most important people because they're the ones that tie the deals together. It's like the Bergeristines at Man City. It's how you, you create a football club. Now, for me, Ralph Ranick, I would have him as director of football tomorrow and give him that job, and that's great. It's not going to happen. It really isn't going to happen. I think the good thing is that he's come in now and he's he will have this six months to maybe do a root and branch assessment and give that information to the board. Say, right, these players don't fit what you want to do. There's these players out in Europe that you can go and get. Now it's up to you to go and do it. Ralph Ranić, unfortunately, will not be the guy pushing the buttons on any of that. It's purely an advisory role. And, and it's woolly, isn't it? When you tell, say, that someone's a consultant for two years, what does that mean? Is he going to be involved in Manchester United every day? Is he going to be at Carrington? Does he live in England or will he go and live abroad and back in Germany? Just the it, weekly call or something like that. Hey, Ralph, what do you think? <laughs> hey, Ralph, yeah, we'll give you like, you know, a few hundred grand a year if you can just be on our conference calls. Ugh, like it's it's the worst business model possible, isn't it? You know, I, I'm from a business background. And you try and have structure to make things work. I think when you look at Manchester United, all of that structure is very faux. It's supposed to be there, but it doesn't really work. So I would love to see Ralph have a big hand in the appointment of the next manager. And I think that he will be advisory. You know, he will talk to to the board. But I think ultimately it will be Richard Arnold that decides who the next coach will be. I'm guessing the message from here uh, to Man United is you've tried to tell us this several times in the last decade and you failed each time. So yeah. prove it. <laughs> it's prove spin, it. isn't it? It's Prove spin. It. So, like, look, we work in the media. We understand what spin is. And Manchester United are good at talking the talk, but awful at walking the walk. So you've now got a new man, a, a new like chief exec in, who, as I've said before, was Ed Woodward's best mate. They both from the same financial background. They're both accountants, and they both know as much about football as each other. Now that worries me because I think you do need someone at the very, very top calling the football shots. And who can also do the business side of it. So this is a it is an issue. It's ongoing. And I think that this is where you might miss out on a Ten Hag or even a Pochettino. Because those managers might look at the core structure and say, well, I'd like the job, but I don't want this job. I don't want it looking like this because how am I supposed to build this team? Unfortunately for the, the whole situation, Man United are very good at paying wages. So Man United are very good at tempting people in, players, managers, coaches, whatever, and then kind of cutting their legs off and making it very difficult for those individuals to run. So we shall see. I think it's, you know, as I said, we will talk about this, I think, almost every show now going forward because the heat is rising. Manchester United are putting feelers out there. Lots of managers in the frame, lots of agents being spoken to. It's going to be a process uh, until we get to the summer and Manchester United finally appoint a new manager. Uh, speaking of Richard Arnold, you mentioned there a few a few seconds ago, he will be the one making the decisions. Although the spin from the club has been that he will pass over the footballing decisions to people who know football. Uh, again, we'll wait and see. 
<laughs> in, a, in a dream scenario, I'm sure that if you go and get Eric Ten Hag, his football comes in with him and he plugs this in and United play this free-flowing, amazing football and they win a bunch of trophies, then that's the dream. Uh, but it's not the reality at the moment. So United are going to have to prove that to fans. Yeah, totally. Do you know, I'll just go one back to, to end that, is to say that I remember when Manchester United for a year or two put out tons of feelers in the press and in our industry that they wanted to have a director of football. And then when it got to the end of that cycle, that there was the call, obviously, that the board do, the one they've just recently done. And I remember Richard Arnold saying, our director of football is Ed Woodward. I remember him saying it. And I was like, you've just spent a year trying to recruit a director of football. And now your director of football is actually the executive vice chairman who does all the business side of the job. So I, I see this is why I don't have faith in that in that process, because I know Richard Arnold is part of that. Do I think that Richard Arnold sees himself as a director of football? No, because he's got one now. But is he going to listen to them? And I think that's a much, much bigger question. The club are faced with fans who are and, and journalists who are burned out from uh, years and years of failure. Uh, there's a I've used the term apathetic uh relating to how I feel about United at times in the last few months. I've spoken to fans that I know recently who really aren't that bothered about who the next manager is because they've seen it time and time again that it's going to fail because the issues are higher up, further upstairs. Again, we will see. Um, if United do go and get, get Eric Ten Hag, then great. But it's gone wrong before. So what reasons do we have to believe that it will succeed this time? An alternative uh, put out this week to Eric Ten Hag was Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, short-term option uh, on the list of, uh, I don't know, how many managers are we on now? Eight. Uh, <laughs> eight, eight options on the list. That really shows a long-term strategy uh, or a strategy in everything that we, you know, it really shows that United know what they're doing. If they've got a big list of, you know, eight managers or something like that, oh, we'll just pick this one. We'll pick this one. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I'm not sure how much I believe that because he's, he's with Real Madrid at the moment. He's top of the league in Spain. Uh, and Graham Bailey from 90 Min over the last few days has essentially reacted to that. And this has been a story he's been working on for a while. But Real Madrid are happy with Ancelotti at the, at the moment as it stands. And it doesn't really seem like they will drop Ancelotti for Mauricio Pochettino if he... You know, a big concern over Pochettino all the time is that he hasn't won any trophies. And can you think of... You know, if United have got concerns over Pochettino winning trophies and the, the lack of them over his career, what do you think Real Madrid will think of that? So Carlo Ancelotti has been put up as a short-term option. Uh, my question to you, Rob, is really, really, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think that there's a little bit of a link here between Manchester United and Real Madrid about how they do business. So Real Madrid, as we know, you have a manager that does well for six months, wins you the league, wins you the Champions League, doesn't do well for six months, they sack him and shoot him, gone. Carlo Ancelotti himself has felt that in the past. He knows what that is. He's part of that cycle. So he fits what Real Madrid do, doesn't he? You know, because Real Madrid can change their mind in the, in, the, in the blink of an eye. We know that's how Florentino Perez conducts his business. Manchester United kind of aspire to be a little bit like Real Madrid. They say that they're more long-term and that they want managers for years and years and years and years. Well, we've not seen that for 10 years, for a decade. Manchester United change managers as much as Real Madrid do. So I think that kind of for that reason, that if Carlo Ancelotti was available 
and with his back catalogue, you could say, you know, the kind of trophies that he's won, that Manchester United would be interested in him. Is he the right choice? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Because I've spoken before about I don't normally look at a manager's age. Like I think it is mostly about their acumen and how they build football teams, how they play. But Carlo Ancelotti is kind of at the end of his tenure. And we've seen that maybe with Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, two coaches who have won everything in the game, that when they came to Old Trafford, they were on the slide of their powers. Yeah, they, they're still who they are, but very, very difficult to to have managers that maybe have lost some of their look. Now, I'm not saying that's how Ancelotti is. But I think Manchester United need to kind of make a progressive appointment here. So it, it, obviously that's why I think Ten Hag and Pochettino are the favoured ones. But there's still plenty of coaches out there. You know, we said Luis Enrique, Mark Bosnich talked about Mancini, obviously in Italy. Um, we've talked also about Jago Simeone. There is lots of coaches out there who are very, very good and would love the challenge of Manchester United. Should Carlo Ancelotti be one of those managers on that list? No, sorry. He'll do Real Madrid, and that will probably be the end of his career unless he kind of moves back to Italy and takes on one of the teams there in Serie A. But for for United, you've got to think with a bit more of a long-term strategy. It's just unfortunately this board is not very good at long-term anything. Maybe... That's why they're looking at him if they are looking at him. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I don't I don't expect this one to come off. It's probably just a, a name thrown in the hat. Uh, from what I understand, there's no real interest from the United side anyway. Uh, but we shall see. Uh, I'm not sure how much time you want to put into Ancelotti today, Rob, because I don't really think it's a goer, to be honest. Uh, but maybe I'll move on. Uh, that was a brief one. That was a brief one, a little brief section for you there. We'll talk about Harry Maguire now. Uh his continued selection in Ralph Rannick's starting lineup has been privately questioned by members of the Manchester United squad, report the Times. Now, uh, there were, you know, we, we put out at 90 Min, we put out a story a number of months ago, weeks ago, of concerns around Harry Maguire, um, Aaron Wambasaka, and a, a few other names as well about their long term futures and whether they should be you know, a part of this team moving forward. Obviously, Maguire and Wan-Bissaka have cost a combined £130 million. <laughs> they both, uh, you know, <laughs> they they put a lot of faith in them. They put a lot, a lot of money behind them. And it turns out now that Diogo Dallo's taken Wan-Bissaka's place uh, under Ranić, and Harry Maguire is still persisting as the kind of... He's there because he's captain. He's like, he's the big money signing and this kind of thing. But if there's there's several leaks, there's there's, there's lot, a lot of this going on uh, over the past few months about players questioning other players and this kind of thing or questioning decisions the club has made. Uh, but his form hasn't been there, has it? And that price tag seems to is either still weighing on him or he's just not very good. Uh, so is it a case of next? What do you what do you think will happen to Harry Maguire this summer? Is it a case of does the captaincy come off him? Does, is he relegated to third choice? Do United try and sell him? What do you think will happen? I think that when you look at what, what Harry Maguire is doing this year, you've got still no choice but to persist. So you can't just start slicing bits of the squad out when there's no transfer window open and you haven't got a long-term manager. That's bad business. You have to go with what you've got. So Harry Maguire, you know, again, you've got to kind of, be retrospective as well in this answer in the sense that this time last year, Harry Maguire was very good. 
Harry Maguire was with England, got to European final, European Championship final, and Harry Maguire was probably at the top of his stock as a Man United player, probably from where he, he was doing well, obviously, at the 2018 World Cup. That was probably his highest moment last term. This year, he's not very good. And I think the issues with Harry Maguire is the style of play has changed because the coach has changed and it exposes him. So Ralph Ranick's going to look at Harry Maguire's strengths and weaknesses and the bit that's going to pop out to him and his eyes are going to go pop like that is that he's not very fast. So how do you play a pressing system? How do you win the ball back quickly if you can't move? And I think the problem for Harry Maguire is that he's not mobile. So in the modern game, can a centre-back prevail and be very, very good and win trophies and lead you to the promised land, as we've said before, and not be able to run? I think the answer to that, Scott, is no. I think that's just the bottom dollar. You paid £80 million for a player at a different time for a different manager with a different style of play. And the style of play is about to move on and shift. You're going to get a new coach in who will push the, who push the button on those things. And you need a centre-back who is aggressive, who can run, who can keep up with quick, diminutive forwards running the channel. And you've got a guy that literally can't do a three-point turn in eight seconds. So that is a really, really big, existential, fundamental, terrible problem to have because it probably means that you're going to have to go and buy another centre-back. So you have to wait till the, the transfer market is open again and target through that. But I do think that, that Ranyard will be looking at this and using Maguire less. So I think when he uses the back four, I think Victor Lindelof has moved ahead of him now. I think there is that feeling. I said again several weeks ago when Maguire's form would really hit, hit a brick wall that I could see Lindelof being the kind of ball carrier that he is. Kind of similar to Maguire, similar issues, similar weaknesses. But Lindelof just just has that little bit more mobility about him. He just does. He can he can really bring the ball out, play one-twos and get into more forward positions to help the midfield. Now, Maguire is also a ball carrier, but in this system, in a counter-pressing style system, he just looks poor. And, and, and that isn't probably going to improve. You can't make someone quicker, can you, Scott? You can't say to them, out of everything, yeah, I want you just to be quicker. It doesn't work like that. So I think that that is where, where United stand on it. So they'll have to play him for now. But I think we'll see more mistakes than successes. Yeah, United have been linked with uh, a centre-back from Dortmund. His name escapes me now. Uh, Manuel Akanji, is it? Mm. Yeah. Um, and over the last few days, I think that well, United were obviously interested in Pau Torres for a long time for Villarreal, uh, left-sided centre-half. And something tells me that I don't think that that interest is over with. They obviously, obviously opted for Rafael Varane last summer when he became mm. available. But if that comes back up again and United do try and overhaul their defence, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they go back there. Um, but that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Varane and Torres, if you're building a new team and you're getting a new coach in and you want to play progressive, you want to play counter-press and you want to be able to pass out from the back, which is key and fundamental in current football, then Torres and Varane is the way you go, isn't it? And that you then have to take the sting on Maguire and you might only be able to sell him for 40 million, 30 million to an English club or something like that. And then you keep Lindelof as your backup. And you probably move on by, and you probably move on Phil Jones. So there is a there is a kind of pathway there for Man United to get to where they want to be. It's just that that pathway is not open until the summer. What do you think? We'll, we'll move on to the Manchester Derby, Manchester Derby in a second, Rob. But 
do you think he makes that big call this weekend, dropping Maguire for Lindelof? I think he replays four at the back. If he plays a kind of, it depends what the system is, isn't it? Uh, he's still playing variations of four-two-two-two. Everything he's doing is a fundamental four-two-two-two changed into a four-three-three or a four-four-two or whatever. You know, it, it changes within games, but it's the starting point. So I think that the starting two centre backs at the moment, when they're fit, one hundred percent is Varane and Maguire. I think, uh, sorry, Varane and uh, and Lindelof. <laughs> and I think when Maguire, Maguire is still very much in that conversation. It's not like we're going to see games where we don't see him for weeks on end. He will still play matches. But, you know, if you've got Maguire playing against a false nine system that, that Guardiola plays, where, where they're going to pull the centre-back out, that's a problem, isn't it? You know, you know, is Maguire going to be able to keep up with Phil Foden doing that role? No. Is he going to be able to keep up with... De Bruyne kind of sitting on the edge of the box, pulling those strings. I don't think so. So I think, again, it's more about how Ralph wants to play rather than, oh, is Maguire going to start? I think that's the first option there is to say, right, we're playing this system. Which players fit my system best? That's a nice little segue into the derby because um, we did want to talk about this. And one of my first questions to you was going to be about the style of play. Now, Oli, as we mentioned at the top, has won his last three visits to the Etihad. I think he's beaten Pep four times. Obviously, he's not here anymore. Uh, so he, he'd found a way to do it. Uh, United had beaten them at home, I think, with that famous Scott McTominay goal in the last match before fans were um, pushed out of stadiums uh, a while back. But they have had a lot of success and more success in recent years at the Etihad than at Old Trafford against City. City have tended to come to United and brush them aside in a sense and keep the ball quite often. And obviously the the reverse fixture of this earlier this season was domination by City. Now, Ranić has his own style. Uh, he knows how he wants to play. But do you? how do you feel that marries up? I mean, obviously Oli's found a blueprint uh, to beat City and Spurs a few weeks ago went to the Etihad and essentially sat back and tried to pick them off on the break. And that's how United have uh, done it under Ollie in the past. Use Dan James. Um, there was one one game where Dan James was played high and left high on the one wing, Marcus Rashid on the other, and United killed them. They, re- they really killed them uh, for long periods of that game. And I th- think there was one of them where they could have scored like three goals in the first 20 minutes, half an hour, um, but they still won. What will Ranić do this weekend? Will he take learnings from previous encounters or will he stick to his system and his way of playing and try and play front foot or what, how do you find that will work this weekend? Well, the most important thing in football is when you're a coach is to be able to predict what the opposition do. If you can predict what the opposition do, you can find a way to unpick them. So I think this is why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had success against Pep Guardiola because we can all literally write down now what Pep Guardiola does and what his teams do. It doesn't change week to week. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They have a philosophy. They have a system. Now, how does that help Ralph Ranić? Ralph Ranić loves to play the counter-press. If you steal the ball of Manchester City on the edge of, the, of your own final third, you're away. Man United have said for weeks, this has come from Ralph Ranić, that he wants to play this style of deep running. You know, so you get the ball. It's it's cl- cl- classic game pressing. It really is. You get the ball, two passes, you're in their box. And that's really, it's kind of an old school way of playing, but it's new school as well. This is kind of the modern way of playing because Liverpool are really good at that. Liverpool could steal the ball from you and it hurt you very quickly. And Manchester City can also do that. But City are much more a possession-based team. So I think for Ralph, 
he will not be going there to play a low block. He won't be doing what Ole did. Ole was much more... Ole didn't play a low block. They played quite a high energy style against City. But the idea was to just do counter-attack football. Meet them and go. Now, Ralph Ranić will try and do some of that. But I do think that they'll be much more combative in the middle of the pitch. They will be pushing De Bruyne back. They will be pushing Foden back. Getting them to pick the ball up in in areas they don't really want to pick the ball up way too deep. And then, of course, if you steal it from them, you're away. Now, even the top players in the world will lose the ball at times. And that's what Ranjit will gamble on. So I'm not at all low on this fixture. Like, I really do think the Manchester could have success here, more so than they could do against Burnley, which sounds like perverse. But Burnley will go, well, we'll play low block and we'll just put go over the top of you in the channel. And then you've got Maguire to run. So that's a problem. So I think that United, this kind of favours them, even though if it becomes a kind of sword fight between, you know, two two kind of adversaries, that Man City will probably win that if it just becomes about skill and domination. But football isn't like that, is it? It's about tactics and it's about how you apply yourself. I think we're seeing that Man United have learned to apply themselves under Ralph Ranić. They're running more, there is more energy in their game and that will help them in this football match. They have to take their chances though, Rob. <laughs> and and this is the bigger question, isn't it? Like you buy Ronaldo because he's the greatest goal scorer of all time, but you can't score. So it's like, what's that all about? So Does he I, start this time? I, I think you've got no choice but to start him. Again, we just talked about Maguire, didn't we? And about options. And you've got Lindelof as a kind of like-for-like like option. But you look at Ronaldo, what is in the squad currently available? Well, Cavani seems to have gone on holiday until the end of his contract. I'm sure he will be used. He might fancy this. You might go, oh, my ankle's actually all right today. It's the derby. I'm available today. But after that, you haven't really got a lot. I think that a Langer will be, again, important just in terms of the system. Um, You might even have to, in the weeks ahead, and United fans will not like this, you might have to play Marcus Rashford as number nine. You might have to because you need someone. You need someone who can run in that central channel. So if you're looking at... Diaz and Laporte and their weaknesses. Well, their strengths are certainly front foot. Their weaknesses are back foot. So can you get in behind them, especially in a counter press going quick? That's where Rashford comes into it. What's the issue there? Rashford's playing terribly. So these are there's no good options here, is there, Scott? This is the thing. And I don't think that Ranić's going to drop Ronaldo in what's potentially the biggest game of the season. With Rashford, do you think that Obviously, he's been stuck either on the right or the left side for a long time now. I think it's been pretty much decided, maybe in his mind or the coach's mind, that he is a wide forward or a winger, whatever you really want to call it. We haven't seen him so much through the middle. Do you think it's a case of trying to play him to his strengths rather than, you know, he he tends, when, when he gets the ball on the wing, he tends to just like stop and stand still and then try and beat a man. Like that's something I've noticed. Um, or get a shot off from long range. Is it is it worth maybe playing him through the middle to try and get him back to what his best is? And that is running in behind. Well, look, Marcus Rashford thinks he's a number nine. That's what he believes. He believes that his skill set, his preference is to play as a central striker. That's what he would like to do. Manchester United haven't done that consistently over many, many years because he is stronger in wider positions. You know, you can isolate fullbacks and isolate the channel and get Marcus running it. But what's the problem at the moment? Marcus's form is awful. So do, do we, you know, in this kind of vital running where you're trying to get top four, 
do you start gambling on those elements and say, well, do you know what? We might just try something different and see what Marcus can do. I think the other side of this is that Man United are not in such a bad moment of form in terms of results that would trigger something radical. So, you know, put, playing Rashford as the nine and, say, putting Ronaldo on the bench for this game is quite a radical thing to do. It's quite a tough thing for it a It does cause a circus whenever that happens as well. Of course it, it does. And, and and this is also the problem of having someone like Ronaldo at your football club is that you're not allowed to rotate by the press. You're not allowed to rotate by the fans. The fans would go absolutely crazy if Cristiano Ronaldo starts that game on the bench. Because if you lose it, that will be the factor that they blame. So that's kind of how it goes, isn't it? So this is why Man United in the summer need to build around these positions to have options, to have a coach that's allowed to make changes. Because this is the whole thing. Ralph Ranić, I think, has has done that. He's rotated effectively. He's only lost one Premier League match, you know, two overall with the with the FA Cup game. But he's still criticised. People are still telling him he's not doing a good job. They're still saying that he's not he's not finding formulas. Like you said, putting the ball in the net is the biggest problem at the moment. But I don't think he will look to say Rashford as a central striker to do that. I think you're more likely to see that the weight will be on someone like a Langer running that channel from the side and United trying to find him. And of course, another important factor is that Bruno Fernandes does the good stuff of his game rather than the bad stuff, because I still think we're seeing way too much swing left and right where he has a great game and you feel good about him. And in the next game, he's rolling around on the floor, throwing his hands up in the air and Manchester United have yet another scoreless match. So you have to have everyone, you know, ticking together. And it's also about how that Bruno and Ronaldo partnership works against a really, really good defence. Because I think we have to say that about Manchester City this year, is that their defence is totally elite. They do have the best defence in the Premier League, conceding 17 in 27 games. Uh, And it's worth, in the wider picture here, I'm going to look at City. I mean, if Liverpool win their game in hand on them, and they've won their last... Well, it says five on the table I'm looking at, but I think it's more than that. They've won their last... uh, but they're in great form. Let's just say they're in great form. And the pressure will really be on. The pressure is on City now to start winning these games and picking up lots of points because of that uh, defeat to Spurs a few weeks ago. United are in a similar boat. They Arsenal are two points behind them with three games in hand. And while games in hand are not always a guarantee of points, as Tottenham have showed us over the last few weeks, it's so important now that given United have drawn three of their last five and failed to, you know, score barrels of chance. They've had barrels of chances, but loads of chances and they failed to really convert them. They have to go to big places and now win these games, don't they? So do you think that'll drive United forward or is the determination going to be the same for City because they're, they've got Liverpool hot on their heels? Well, weirdly, I don't think results are what driving the Man United bus at the moment. I really don't think it is. It's like, it is for Ralph Ranić, but when you look at the players, there is this fluctuation in performance in matches. So really, when you think about it, when you're playing Burnley, and we just mentioned them a minute ago, that's where you have to go, this is a must win. You know, this is where we can go and get our points. So we get all our points up to Man City and we lose at uh, at the Etihad, then we've kind of covered our bases. Well, no, now we're in the other part of the the conversation, aren't we? Where Man United have to go and win at the Etihad. And it's quite unique because it's not always the case in the Manchester derby where both teams must win. You know, I think we've had it in the past where City are on title charges. Man United have kind of put a kind of, you know, fork in the spoke there as it spins around and kind of go, well, no, we're going to like be the noisy neighbours this week and we're going to hurt your title challenge. 
I think it's for Man United, they do need to win this game. But I don't know if that focus is 100% there because we haven't seen it in other matches. Now, I do think that against City, United superstars and their big players will go, this is what we want. You know, rub their hands together and go, this is our stage. This is where we have to play our best football. But it's no good if you beat Man City one week, is it? And then the next week you lose. Like, Look at Tottenham. You beat Man City, but you're still rubbish. It's not good, is it? It's a bad look. So United, I think, are a better team than Tottenham Hotspur. And I think they're more dangerous than Tottenham Hotspur. Spurs have obviously got two or three very top elite players at the top end of the pitch. But Man United have got better players across the board, across the starting eleven. Can they go and get a result against Manchester City? The answer to that is yes. City have an identity and a way of playing that often does leave them open if a club can get it right, if a team can get it right. And United have proven that numerous times in the last few years at the Etihad. So that game is on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Rob, I'm going to... Prediction? Oh, no, I don't do do, do, You don't do uh, predictions. I, 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 do th- I think that... that you know, I've heard a lot from Man United fans saying that this is this is an unwinnable game. That's what they're saying. They're saying that, that 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 he got Man City. They're so superior to Man United. This is completely unwinnable. There's no such thing as a Manchester derby that's unwinnable. I've seen awful Man United teams beat fantastic Manchester City teams. And do you know what? I'm old enough to remember when it was the other way. When we were the champions of the world and the best team on the planet and Manchester City would roll up or we'd go to Manchester City and Sean Gota would bury us. So I've seen bad teams beat better teams in the Manchester derby. So that's why I don't... I think this is a one-off as well. I do think that Ronaldo, especially if he's on his way out of Manchester United, and I think that that is a, a fair prediction. I think he's coming to the end of his career, whether it be this year or next. He will look at games like this and think, this is how I kind of solidify a bad season. If I could be the winner here, if I could be the guy that gets the, the ball and puts it in the top corner and we win 1-0, what will happen? Everyone will go, Cristiano Ronaldo, we love you. And I think he wants a little bit of that. And I know that Ralph Ranić does as well. Time for us to sign off, Rob. Is there anything, is there anything you would like to say before we go? No, I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks for Manchester United. Obviously, the focus is still on the Premier League and coming in the top four. Champions League is rebooted. They got a really good result in Spain. So that's coming up soon as well. But I do think on our show here, a lot of our focus, a lot of our content, a lot of our chats are going to be about the new manager. This is kind of the the most important factor now for Man United long term is to appoint the right coach. If it's Ten Hag, I certainly will back him. You know, I think he is a good coach. But I do think that United need to give more guarantees to the next manager and help them achieve rather than hinder them. Absolutely. Reminder, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. And now you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube. So head over to our channel, hit the like button, subscribe and join the community. The link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. And another reminder, you can follow us on Twitter too. At underscore Scott Saunders for me. Rob is at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promised Land MU for the show. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.